Okay, welcome back to the Film Frequency podcast. Uh, we're joined this week by Brian. Brian, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? Not too bad. Welcome to the podcast. So this week, uh, we're you. going to do a wee bit of a mixture. It's kind of like a Film Frequency fight mix with the director Discovery, because this week it's all about Roland Emmerich. And we're going to be chatting about a little bit about uh, his movies, and we're going to be doing a film fight where I'm going to be the adjudicator and we're going to listen to Mark, Ross and Brian tell me exactly what they love about his movies and why they think the specific film is the best of Roland Emmerich. I need to stop saying Emmerich, it's Emmerich. There's no itch in there, Corey. <laughs> Ick, Emmerich. Ick, right. No problem. Okay. Brian, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and what your favourite film is or maybe favorite few films if you don't have a a number one yeah i i, I never have I've, I've never could have chosen a number one mm. but uh, a little bit about myself i live in the netherlands i'm a friend of max he has been here as well mm. um just love movies uh, from a young age it was a family thing you know watching movies watching tv series uh yeah that that just uh, expanded and expanded and i also did a study uh, called uh, media information and communication, uh, but half halfway the study they they started to rebuild it, and it uh, became more commercial than uh, than artsy. So I was like, yeah, I'm not here for that. Hmm. So I quit that. Did some other things, and thought I'll just give movie making a go on my own. I know. I, I mean, you just need to to write one script that gets an Oscar, and then you're done, right? Yeah. Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> so I'm still looking for my Goodwill Hunting. But, um, yeah, I love talking about movies, uh, analyzing them. Um, so yeah, Mark's going to start off and give us a little bit of a backstory on the man himself. Um, Mark, what do you know about Roland Emmerich? So uh, Roland Emmerich, he was born in 1955 and he's a German film director, um, screenwriter and producer. Uh, which you wouldn't expect. I thought for a while he was American, um, given his filmography. Clearly, he's a wannabe American. Um, his films are uh, mostly Hollywood productions and have made more than $3 billion uh, worldwide, with over a billion of those dollars in the United States, making him the country's 15th highest grossing director of all time. Um, and I think he really, you know, he came on the scene in the 90s. Um, but it was really um, the midway through the 90s when he released Independence Day in 1996, I think, that really everyone kind of sat up and took notice um, of who he was. Um, and since then, he's been doing a lot of films up until present day, where it's been a lot of uh, big disaster films, big blockbuster films anyway. Um, and obviously all set in America, because it just wouldn't be a Roland Emmerich film without that. Yeah, so um, we're going to be doing a wee bit of a film frequency fights. Now, I couldn't quite decide which one was my favourite, so I'm sitting out this week and we're going to have Mark, uh, Ross and Brian tell tell us which ones of his um, they like the most. I think if I had to say just before we start, I'd say maybe Godzilla, even though it's probably one of the least, uh, the, the, the lowest rated. Um, but Mark, tell us what your choice is and why it's your favourite film. Um, so, my choice um, is his film in 2009, uh, which is 2012. Um, it's his biggest, in my opinion, and I think you should probably agree as well, even if you're not a big fan of this one, it's his biggest disaster film of the lot. It's as big a disaster film as any disaster film has went. Um, I feel like you can't really push the envelope any further than what 2012 goes. 
Um, and I think he kind of builds on one of his other really good films, The Day After Tomorrow. Really notches that up to like a 15 on the on the scale sort of thing from like maybe like an 8 or 9. Um, and it uh, uh, stars John Cusack as the lead and it's basically the end of the world. It's based on the loose... Um, prediction that the world was going to end in 2012 have you heard of this uh before this like do you remember there was like a phase in the late 2000s where everyone i can't remember if it was who was predicting it or what it was the end of the mayan calendar it was the end of the the world was going to end in december 2012 and then well surprisingly they didn't get it right (laughs) (laughs) thank god they didn't get it right because if it ended up like this I've actually got a story about that. I was um, in college at the time on the date that it was supposed to happen, and we had all the students had got this like countdown thing that someone had made online, and it was like a countdown timer. And basically, whoever had made the website once it got to zero, like the screen all started to go all fuzzy and stuff, and everyone in the class laughed except for the teacher, who literally looked like he had just seen a ghost because he thought there were something really bad was happening online or the world was starting to collapse which i'll, I'll so, never forget his face <laughs> so he actually bought into the hype then yeah he? for like five seconds and then he clearly noticed everyone else pissed themselves laughing uh yeah it was uh for me the only time i've had something like that was the, the hydrogen collider mm, do you remember yeah, when they, they activated it for the first time and they said there's a small chance that we may just end up opening up a black hole that sucks the entire earth in and i remember very fittingly being in physics class actually in mm-hmm. um uh, uh, yeah, while that was happening. Um, so yeah, big big disaster film. Think it's very very underrated, and um, it's it's the perfect popcorn blockbuster, honestly. And there there's uh, some incredible CGI. It's such a good ride. Yeah, Mark. Um, do you now this came out in two thousand nine? Have you watched it since? And does the CGI still hold up nowadays? I have watched it since, and it still holds up. Yeah, yeah he. He was at the very peak, and this is type of the type of film to watch in theaters. This to really get the full impact of twenty twelve, you would want to watch it in cinemas. I'd love them to do like a ten year anniversary or something for this next year. Um, maybe you know let the dust uh, dust settle with the pandemic before we kind of go back into like a end of the world type scenario film again. But um, yeah, I think they should do an anniversary for this in the cinema. So, uh, Brian or Ross, do you want to give your one point against Mark why you don't think that is his best film? Or if you've anything negative to say about 2012, the movie in general, please, the floor is open to you guys. Ross, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I think, Mark, sort of you, you, under, you sort of undercut it yourself by even beginning with the fact that, like you said, it is similar very thematically to his previous film of The Day After Tomorrow. So essentially, it's, yes, you're right, it's bigger and it's more bombastic, but the exact same story threads are there, and I also feel that you have that while also losing some of the charm that 2012 had. Um, I didn't feel anything for any of the characters. There's no, there's not one likable person in that entire movie. And I think that it's basically just a rehash, trying to one-up himself from what he did before, and I don't think he brings anything new other than some more spectacle and bizarre. So in that sense, I don't think it really adds anything to his comment work. Can I repeat? <laughs> uh, one second, Brian. Do you have anything to say about 2012? Yeah, actually, <clears throat> didn't think of it that way, but you're right. It's it's just uh, Day After Tomorrow on steroids. And I, I appreciate Day After Tomorrow even more. 
nice. after the film. It's, it's the same thing like Independence Day and Resurgence. It's, yeah. And I'm like, really, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Who doesn't like steroids? <laughs> yeah, of course. But having said that, I saw the movie 2012 four times in two weeks. Wow. <laughs> because it is a cinema movie, you know, it's just on a really big screen, everything going to shit. Yeah, it's, 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 it's perfect. It's, no, it's, it you know, we don't get enough right. of it. It's a cinema movie. It, once, you take it, like, once you take it off the big screen, it has like reduces its impact factor by like half. It's yeah. nowhere near as impressive when you're sitting watching it on like a TV, no matter how big your TV is or how good yeah. your setup is. Nowhere near as impressive as it is on well, that big screen. So therefore, yeah. it has a shelf life. Whereas I would argue some of the other items on this list absolutely can be watched on anything. Yeah. Well, you could say that, you know, Marvel, um, you know, Avengers Endgame, will not be the same impact if you watch it on your own screen. You could say that about any blockbuster, essentially. Not really. Not really, Mark. No, no, no. Yeah. Sorry. And like, on top have, of that... There, there's a beating heart to all those movies. There's absolutely nothing <laughs> of note with any so, of the characters in that movie. Uh, beating heart? There's so much that goes on in the film. Like, not what? only do they bring like in... So, expanding from Day After Tomorrow, Day After Tomorrow, like a lot of his films, and like a lot of Hollywood films, just focus on America. When big disasters happen, it's all just about America. And it takes me out of the film, and it's, you know, an eye-rolling type concept, where it's like, well, what, what's going on elsewhere? On and this one focuses on... the. It does. The uh, they have to go to China, because that's where the art gets made. It's, it follows okay. an American family as they move across the world. Yeah, but they, anyway, they there still... Is one, there is one other family in that movie which is like the Nepalese guy, like the monk, and like his family and the workers and stuff on the actual art. And the Indian family? For, what, like 10 minutes of the movie? 10 the Indian family? The entire thing is still the Americanized. You can't play it's this still, film, It's like, still oh, kind of American. The world. No, it's not. Well, it's it's a lot more than any other disaster film does. And you're saying about heart, That's you not, have... That doesn't mean it's a qualified movie, Mark. So you have Chiotel Force, uh, Adrian Helps, uh, Helmsley, Who's the he's the kind of uh, the sensible uh, scientist who kind of discovers he's one of the main characters who discovers uh, that the the core of the earth is heating up and becoming disruptive basically and unstable and that's what's leading to all the the crust basically falling apart and everyone dying. But he has a father on a cruise ship and he has this really really heartfelt moment. <laughs> okay, he's American. Okay, these characters are American, but at the same time, they do flash to the other countries about how they're dealing with things, and they travel to different parts of the world where who saves them, and who's the one who's going to do a selfish act where they end up building rescue ships. It was obviously going to be China, where it's a bit ruthless, where it's like, yeah, the rich managed to survive, and I was like, yep, yeah, totally invested in that. You can totally see how that would happen. And as I said, there's some sad moments where Thandi, Thandi Newton, she's the uh president's ex-wife no president's daughter <laughs> and she has to obviously say goodbye to her father because her father decides to stay behind with the american people as they all die in their millions again, on a grand grand scale like you've completely walked back in yourself it all comes back to the america i'm not saying there's anything wrong with the fact it comes back to the american perspective no. but the fact that you're passing this off is like the main selling point is that it encapsulates the worldview just isn't true in the slightest it's all Ross, you're forgetting it's one thing. an American movie. No, Ross, you're forgetting one thing. The tickets were in Euros. So there That's you go. That's true. They were. They were in Euros. That's <laughs> a fair point. They were in Euros. <laughs> I stand corrected. A foreign currency plays a major part. There you go. Congratulations, Mark. It's your world-building movie that we have that breaks so many boundaries. Congratulations. Yeah, well, clearly the rest of the world were interested in it because it made a lot of money.
this film also <laughs> people don't realize how much money this made it feel it, it made almost a billion dollars back when being a billion dollar film was a massive deal yeah 500 million were mine <laughs> from the <first> <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, we're going to have to move on to Ross now. Um, Ross, tell us your selection and give us a short um, description of why it's your selection. So my selection is the quintessential Roland Emmerich movie. The, one of the quintessential movies of the 90s, one of the most 90s movies ever made. and completely symbolizes the decade, and that is Independence Day, which... Um, if anyone hasn't seen it, Aliens Turn Up. So it came out in 1990, 1996. And basically, Aliens Turn Up and their space around the world. But let's we're not going to try and say what Mark did, where it's a world movie. It's not. This is America through and through. And the aliens turn up and blow up a whole bunch of things. And then, basically, it's Earth's turn to fight back. And it's it has... Some of the most like bombastic scenes ever. There's a bit where Will Smith punches an alien in the face and says, "Welcome to Earth." And like that's, if that doesn't sell the movie to you, I don't know what does. But like it has one of the best monologues ever given in a movie with Bill Pullman, where he does that speech about um, where he's t saying that the world is not just an American or no Fourth of July is not just an American holiday. No, it's a world holiday and all this sort of stuff, but you're sitting there and you're crying with pride. There's, um, you have Jeff Goldblum, who is his usual zany Jeff Goldblum himself. You have um, Randy Quaid as like this crop duster farmer that has one of the most heroic sacrifices that you'll ever see in cinema. The entire movie, I just think, is an absolute, absolute riot. It's like, it doesn't try to be anything important or anything impressive, but it just, it knows what it is and it does what it does very, very well. And I would argue that everything that has come since from Roland Emmerich never quite touches the sides with regards to the blockbusting elements that you'll find in this one. Nice. Okay, uh, Brian, we'll start with you. Do you have anything to say about Independence Day and uh, Ross's description of it for or against? First of all, <laughs> a really terrific movie. Um, something really American about it. <clears throat> I, I think it was at the, at the screening or the premiere. <laughs> Uh, the projector broke down just after the opening scene with the moon and, and the flag comes, the American flag comes in, the, in uh, on screen, mm. and then the projector broke down. But everyone in the uh, everyone in the room, they were just cheering uh, until the projector just came back on. <laughs> That's <laughs> a really American thing. That wouldn't happen here in the UK. No. We just have everyone <laughs> throw stuff like, at what? the screen yeah, and walk out. Yeah, cinema is this, yeah. no, but um. <clears throat> I think the best way to sum up Independence Day is, I, I think South Park or or Family Guy, one of the two, did it? Mm -hmm. It was like it, it, the whole movie is <clears throat> um, Jeff Goldblum just connecting the dots, where where you think like what the fuck is going on in your head? <laughs> how are you getting there? <laughs> and that's the whole movie for me. Like what is happening and how are you people getting there? But it's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Is he the one who comes up with the discovery of the, the shield? I remember that was like, everyone's yeah, like, why why can't we hurt them? Why why is it just like our missiles just not working? And then someone's like, oh, they've got a shield. How do we act? And then who is it? Jeff Goldblum yeah, who yeah. works out how to deactivate he, it. He, I'm pretty sure he uses like a computer program that he runs on like Microsoft ninety six or something. <laughs> that like it's just like, and, he, and and somehow that manages to work. But 
the point is, Mark, like these movies aren't made to be like taken seriously. They're meant to be fun, like good blockbuster popcorn flicks, and this it's completely what this movie is. I will agree that it is like it is like meant to be that um, don't take don't take it too seriously type film. It just feels a little bit like like to me. I prefer a more heavy weight when you're dealing with the end of the world in a film, and this one here I like because it is that kind of tongue-in-cheek type thing but once you've seen it once i feel like you don't really want to see it again and it just feels a bit like it's the will smith movie it just feels like there's too much will smith i have several rebuttals for what you just said (laughs) number one thank you so much for allowing it to be that i'm sure that was the director's intention that you would one day allow it to be that um number two this you're saying that like you want more weight as opposed to what in 2012 where is the emotional weight in that movie, Mark? There's none. And as for, and you're saying it's the Will Smith train. Of course, it's the Will Smith train. That was what it was sold on. That is what it is, and it never tries to be anything different than that. And I think that's important. I think it knows exactly what it is and it plays into it. And then on top of the fact, at least 2012 doesn't have a horrific sequel that then taints the original. Because really, that, you, as much you know, as you say that they're separate films. The, the second Independence Day, the resurgence, wasn't that what it was called? The resurgence? You can't nail that on Shocking. Yeah. You can because all the cast returned apart from Will Smith. I know so many people that haven't seen that second movie and are happy enough just to sit with this first movie as it is. You don't Which need they to should. Affair. Are you telling me if 2024 20, or something came out like tomorrow that you would just be like, oh no, it, like it's fine, it, it doesn't it doesn't have any impact on the original that suddenly that would make sense? No, it, it they're completely separate entities and I don't have to justify or defend that movie because it's trash. Yeah, yeah Mark, I'll not accept that. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Sequels need to be taken with their their prequels. I think so. Not in the slightest. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. <clears throat> this, yeah, this is more heated than I expected at this point. This Especially time. when the same director comes back and writes uh, writes a sequel as well. Uh, yep, it's same director. And everyone was the same cast, like all the cast came back apart from Will Smith. So really that was very much, and they make reference to who Will Smith was, who his character was, his son was in it, Liam Hemsworth shows up, I'm not even sure who he's meant to be, Um, (laughs) the president shows up again, and like he's back, and I think he's meant to be crazy or something, I can't even remember, or the guy with the, isn't there, you know the scientist um, who gets infected with the alien? He comes yeah, back to life um, from some. Brent Spiner comes back, aka Mr. Theater from Star Trek Next Generation. Makes yeah. an appearance, and it makes no sense, and it doesn't feel like it's anything to do with this because he definitely dies in this movie. So <laughs> it is a complete rewrite, and it means absolutely nothing to this at all. So this is a mute point that you're going to keep harping on, but that's fine. Yeah, I would like Roland Emmerich to come out and actually say that he distanced himself from this, and then I will then say it's not a sequel. If he does that, okay. then. Okay. That's not what we're arguing here. I'm not arguing for Independence Day resurgence. I'm arguing for Independence Day. So let's draw a line under that and carry on. Mm -hmm. Okay, moving on. Uh, Brian, what is your movie? Uh, Tell us a little bit about it. Um, It's Stargate. And uh, I I watched it again yesterday. It it is kind of a B-movie. I'll give you that. I'll be the honest fighter here. It's a B-movie, but if you... <clears throat> if you look at it from a different point of view, it's his most successful movie because it spawned like three um, a series, a whole franchise, a whole uh, own thing on uh, in Comic Con and all that. It's own con. I think there's a Stargate con somewhere, probably. Um, Stargate SG One had ten seasons. 
uh, Atlantis had five and Universe had two. I would say that's a pretty successful franchise, <laughs> right? Yeah, too, right. So in that spirit, it's a, uh, it's his uh, most successful movie. But on the other side, if you look at it, it feels like a B movie. It's a bit written like a B movie. <laughs> it's directed a little bit like a B movie. And um, actually, the weird part is he he wrote it with Dean Devlin, and that guy can write. I know he can write because he has he has written good movies. But I don't know what what went wrong there. I guess it's what it's it's more the world that they built than the than the movie that they shot. That was uh that was it. But it's a stellar cast. It's like James Spader in there. Uh, also the crew as well. Um, the, the guy who does the creature design for for the movie is uh, is a production designer on uh, on Batman v Superman and Justice League. So it's it's like big people in the industry, and I seriously don't know how it felt. I think it's Roland Emmerich's own fault because. Uh, because of his uh, directing, but yeah, mm. but uh, it's a good movie. It's it's not a really shitty movie. It's an okay movie. Mm. Is good with beers. Do you need to be drunk for it? Yeah, <laughs> like at least tipsy. <laughs> at least tipsy. It's not the movie. Yeah. Um. So, Mark, Mark and Rossi, have either of you saw Stargate? Yeah. So I I have I'm I'm quite like I quite enjoyed the TV series. Um. I'm not. I admit I am not as knowledgeable about it as I probably should be. I haven't seen all of it, I've just seen a couple of series of SG one. Hmm. But I to me, like you said, it's I think it for what it is, is it's very fun and what it's produced is fantastic. The lore is obviously there that they've been able to mine an awful lot of it from. But I think you're right, like it, it does have a certain B movie quality to it and I think I watched it back recently and it doesn't hold up super well in parts. But I would I'll give it to you that I think the acting is very, very good. Kurt Russell and um, Jim Spitter together, I think, really served very, very well. Um, so I think on the merits of what it produced and like as a product of its time, I think it's quite good, but I just don't think it really stands up today as well as some of the other movies in his back catalog. Yeah, and I think it's a stepping stone for him as well. Yeah, absolutely. I will say it's the one, I think it's the first film that kind of introduced me like Interstellar, like... Um, you know, people teleporting through different timelines and stuff, I think, yeah, which I really loved it for that. Um, but I think I watched this really young. Like, I might have even watched this in school. I think I remember watching this in school, weirdly. Um, but, yeah, it's not bad. I see um, Dean Devlin. Um, so, yeah, he's basically been the writer for most of Roman Al Roland Emmerich's films. Hmm. But... Um, and then he went and decided to try and direct himself, and that's <laughs> this has happened to so many writers. Clearly, writing and directing can be very, very different. Um, he made the uh, 2017 Geostorm. Has anyone seen it? No, no, not yet. Up until, I didn't watch it. <laughs> up until recently, I genuinely thought, like, whenever I saw that on like being advertised, I was just like, oh, Roland's back at it again. Good for him having another crack at the whip. I genuinely thought that that was one of his movies. <laughs> so. But yeah, I haven't actually seen it, so I can't attest to the quality. Yeah, it's his type of film. Like it's 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 um it's exactly it's like right up Roland Emmerich Street, but um it's really bad, <laughs> like far worse than Roland Emmerich stuff. Um, so yeah, don't don't advise watching that one. <laughs> okay, so that was everyone's um little bit on their film. Uh, some discussions a bit more heated than others. Uh, but Mark has this once a closing statement. So everyone let. Each, each person do a closing statement without any interjections. Uh, Mark, seeing you wanted a closing statement, you can go first. Okay, first things first. 
Ross, you are wrong. <laughs> so, 2012 is his best film. It is one of the most underrated blockbusters of all time. I would love to see this thing um, become a classic. I think it deserves to become a classic. It has some of the best CGI of the 2010s, if not the best. Um, you can All that money, all that budget is put on the screen from the moments of the plane flying up through the cracks um, when all the, the skyscrapers are falling and then you see the train going through the underground. And of course, there's this massive crater in the ground to the... Uh, the uh, what's the volcano the volcano exploding with uh, yellowstone volcano and you've never seen a super volcano explode like that and then you've got the the classic tsunami that hits the himalayas at the end it's it's just oh breathtaking to watch on screen and in the center of it you do have this court emotional story of a family trying to get away from this disaster um led by john cusack who is also i think a really like underrated actor as well i feel like he could have ended up becoming like i don't know you just kind of want john cusack to kind of be your dad a little bit like he has that kind of like hip dad type thing no like no, no. <laughs> yeah i think he's just really likable and uh and then of course it's really nice to see that um uh, society survived and that china saved the day <laughs> Okay, thanks, Mark. Thank you. That's great. Um, Ross, do you want to go next? Um, yeah. So honestly, I probably don't need the entire time for this. Uh, I think the movie speaks for itself. I think the subsequent quality of his movie since that also speak for my argument. Um, I I'm not going to do what Mark, my opponent did and try and seep, seep down to his level because I don't see much point. I think that Independence Day set so many troops. I think it knows exactly what it is. It's a blockbuster. It's fun. It's popcorn. There's nothing serious to be taken within it, but yet it still manages to have some really impactful scenes. Dean Devlin is very, very good throughout a lot of Roald Emmerich's movies of putting in powerful monologues, and this one I would argue has one of the most powerful monologues in movie history with regards to the 4th of July speech that Bill Pullman gives. Um, this entire thing, I think, is America at its finest. It is basically America the movie in more ways than one. <laughs> and I just think that it knows exactly what it is. It doesn't try to be anything else. And it's just an awful lot of fun. And I think it's what that is when Rowan Emmerich is at his best. Thank you very much, Ross. Uh, Brian, tell us about Stargate in one sentence or more. All right, uh, there you go. Um, Roland Emmerich, imagine. Prime of his life, 39 years old, very young. <laughs> Not by the standards of today, but um, his first real blockbuster movie. It made like four times its budget uh, in, uh, in, in, in box office. Um, stellar cast, James Spader and, uh, and, and Kurt Russell. I think Kurt Russell wants to do anything sci-fi, <laughs> seeing as he wanted to be a, a Han Solo. <laughs> but um, yeah, just uh, three spin-offs. And, and, and if, if you got a whole con name for you, like a Stargate con, then I think you're just pretty successful in the pop culture, right? And the, the, the whole whoosh with the, with the Stargate, when it opens, when it activates, that was some groundbreaking CGI as well. He fired the guy twice on set. <laughs> Roland Emmerich, I think he's a bit of a, 
Yeah, a bit of a weird guy on set. Intense. I think he's he's an intense guy. So he fired the guy twice, rehired him as well for the wishing <laughs> effect. So, <laughs> and and now he can't make anything without CGI. So there's a there's something involving there, you know. Uh, he, he just made his break in Hollywood, and and uh, and, and and that set his course for all of the movies that you guys like. So um, my movie started it all. I think that's the best way to say it. Fair, fair. Okay, okay. So the thing is, so obviously I also have seen all three films you guys have uh, recommended, um, and obviously maybe one of your films is maybe at the top of my list, and one of them is at the bottom. So I want to be as impartial as possible, just going off your arguments. And I feel like Ross and Mark's argument has been slightly tainted through the the level of uh, discussion that went on between you two, and I feel like. So I'll be honest, Stargate is my lowest rated of uh, Roland Emmerich's films. However, a lot of the things you were saying there, Brian, about you know the way it started the whole um, TV series, and I I can remember that wishing sound as a kid, like things like that, you know, little nuggets like that. Out of all the movies, I have to say, Mark Twenty Twelve is the one I actually cannot remember much of it. Um, it is my second highest rated to Independence Day. Independence Day is, is my highest rated. Um, going by, uh, I would say the winner of this week's FFF would have to probably be Ross. I just thought his argument was the best out of them all. Um, I think, Brian, you brought up a lot of great points, I think, about the, the Stargate films. Um, yeah, in terms of sci-fi, I really love what they did. I think 2012 now has just been tainted because so many people hate it so much as well. Um, for me, Mark, I enjoyed it as a, as a kid, but um, yeah, I think the winner would have to be Ross because it is one that I really enjoy. And the argument for some of the characters, the heart in it, I we were mentioning before about the, the farmer sacrificing his life and um, Will Smith joking around with the aliens. Definitely it is the most memorable of all his movies. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give it to Mark. And I'm sorry, I'm going to give it to Ross, <laughs> not Mark. Plot twist. <laughs> no, I'm going to give it to Ross um, for Independence Day. Uh, and I'm not going to give a second or third because I don't I don't think... Um, I can't I can't see a clear runner-up between you two. Um, but yeah, congratulations, Ross. Thank you very much. You're the winner of this. <laughs> it, was the, it was the easy choice. I understand that. What, just very quickly, what would be your second choice if it wasn't the films you choose? Mine Mark? would be Day After Tomorrow. Mm. Ross? Um, maybe, yeah, maybe The Patriot. I think. Maybe the Patriot. What about you, Brian? Yeah, uh, Mark took mine. I was just getting his filmography. <laughs> then, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Day After Tomorrow. Uh, if not Day After Tomorrow, then... Uh, and I guess Godzilla. I didn't even know he, he did it <laughs> until I started researching it. Yeah. He has done like the, the most um, weird collection of movies that you wouldn't say. Like if, if you watch a Christopher Nolan movie, then you can understand. Yeah, that's a Christopher Nolan vibe. Mm. Only with disaster movies, I can I can guess a Roland Emmerich vibe, but mm. not not in everything. Like The Patriot would have thought such a good movie would <laughs> have been made by. <laughs> By German wannabe America. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> that that is the real that's the real America. I was about to say. I think the fact that it has America so heavily involved as a major theme in that movie is instantly like, oh yeah, this is Roland's territory. 
we were saying during, <laughs> we were saying during the break that he has to be the most American director ever, and he's not even from the country. Like, I yeah. can't think of yeah. more like Star Spangled Banner awesomeness in terms of movies than his movies. I can't think of anyone who's emphasized yeah, it as heavily. Michael Bay, I'm sure he must have been in the ring for uh, Captain America director when they were first picking the Captain America <laughs> Don't think so. Go don't, on, don't. Roll down America. That would be something. That would be good. Godzilla was a good movie. It was a good movie. Yeah, it's one, it's one that's like so lowly rated by everyone else, but it's definitely the one which is my guilty pleasure. Like it, I love Godzilla. We've talked about this in the podcast before. Like all, I had all the toys when that movie came out. I probably watched it about twenty times. It was a good one. Um, it probably would have been my choice if I had been involved, even though I'd previously said Independence Day. Um, have you heard of his upcoming film? What do we got? That he's it? got in development. So he has this new one that's in post production. So it should be out next year. Uh, called Moonfall. Uh, this is the next film to, I believe, um, Independence Day Resurgence. So. Hopefully he can redeem himself here. Um, and it's in Moonfall, a mysterious force knocks the moon from its orbit around Earth and sends it hurtling on a collision course with life as we know it. Um, <laughs> however, apparently, some, I remember reading somewhere, it basically, this it turns out all astronauts need to go into space and then they go onto the moon and then they realise it's not the moon and it's some sort of conspiracy theory. Or something. Halle Berry what? is the lead? So uh, she's making a resurgence. That'll be interesting. Michael Pena is in it, is in it as well. Wow. What's happening here, man? How the hell does, Wait, does this guy get all these... What's his face? Sam? Sam of Thrones is in it? What? Yeah, this sounds great. Okay, I'll be watching this. <laughs> Donald Sutherland is in it as well. When is this G.I.? Oh, 2022. Mm, nice. So that's us for this week. Uh, Brian, once again, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And we'll be back next week with our last episode of this season, uh, which is going to be a discussion between the two Blade Runner films. Isn't that it, Mark? Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Which one's best? Um, yeah, so thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.